Morning, Cedar Creek. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I appreciate you joining us this morning at all of our campuses, as well as those of you who maybe are watching online. I'm glad you're here wherever here happens to be for you today. And I just have to tell you, you have picked a great day to be here. Today is the beginning of what I think is going to be an amazing season of God moving in and through our church. And the reason I say that, some of you were here on Wednesday night for CAST 2019. What an amazing night, right? Yeah. Oh, man, it was unbelievable. And if you missed that, I'm sorry. But for us to come together as a church and just pray and seek God's face to ask Him to move. And really our prayer was that we would align our hearts with His heart. And because of that, I am convinced that we're about to see some amazing things happen over these next several months this fall. And uh, as awesome as Cast 19 was, it's just a month from now, September 11th, we're going to be hosting Night for Jesus here at our Banks Mill campus. Imagine churches from all over our community, worship teams and worship bands and choirs coming together to just lift up the name of Jesus. That's coming up just a little less than a month from now. And then you don't have to wait that long because something awesome is starting one week from today. We are kicking off a brand new church-wide series and study called Living Your Blessed Life. And for the next eight weeks, we're going to be exploring how to experience God's blessings in our life. Anybody here need a little bit of God's blessing in your life right now? Yes, sure. All of us do. And and that's what we're going to be focused on. Now, here's the thing. If you spend any time at all on social media, on the book of faces or the gram or wherever, one of the things you know is that our culture is obsessed with living the best life right? We chase after these picture-perfect moments where everything's going right, and when we have that moment of happiness and joy and everything's great, we take a picture of it, we post it, share it with the world, and we hashtag it, living my best life. But interestingly, what Jesus teaches us is that there is something better than the best life, and that is the blessed life. Life, Because, see, here's the thing. Even in those picture-perfect moments that we share with everybody, behind those pictures, between those pictures, the reality is that we all have brokenness. We all have struggles. We all experience pain. We all have those moments that we don't share online. And so what Jesus talks about is instead of pursuing these temporary moments of the best life, that we can live a blessed life every day. That blessed life that is experiencing God's power, His presence, and His peace in every life situation. And nowhere is Jesus more clear in teaching this than in his eight opening statements of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. We call these eight statements the Beatitudes, and they are a key to living your blessed life, to truly experiencing God's blessings in your life. And so starting next week, 
Next Sunday, we're going to walk through week by week those eight statements of a blessed life from Jesus. We're going to do that in our Sunday morning messages. We're going to go a little deeper with it with our home group studies and all of our adult home groups. And then we're going to offer to you a daily reading plan where you can spend time individually every day exploring what Jesus teaches about a blessed life. We're going to be doing that through the Bible app. I know many, if most of you use the Bible app. If not, I want to encourage you this week. Uh, on your way out, maybe today, stop by the Welcome Center at your campus or just find somebody under the age of 30 and they can show you how to get that app on your phone or your tablet because you need the Bible app in order to follow along with those daily readings. It's going to be an amazing journey, but you got to understand this. Like any other journey, you got to get ready for it. you got to prepare for God to bless your life. And that's what I want us to do this morning, to talk about getting ready for getting blessed. Because God's blessings, they're not poured out randomly, haphazardly on people. God's blessings are poured out on those who are ready for it, those who are prepared for it, those who desire it. And we see this throughout the Bible. Like take, for example, in the Old Testament, When God was getting the the nation of Israel, he wanted to bless them with the promised land. What an amazing blessing, this beautiful place, this beautiful land. But God didn't just take them straight from slavery in Egypt and put them in the promised land. No, he spent 40 years getting them prepared. 40 years preparing them to receive this blessing. And even after that 40 years, when they got right up to the edge of the Jordan River and they're getting ready to step into God's blessings... Look at what God says to them, Joshua 1, 2. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people do what? What's it say? Right, get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I'm about to give you. You have to get prepared for the blessing. In the New Testament, Jesus calls his closest disciples together, and he tells them that when he returns, it's going to be amazing. That he's not going to return in a humble stable. He's coming as a king and he's going to rule the world. And his kingdom is going to be glorified. But look at what he says to them about getting ready for that day. Luke 12, 35. It says, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. Waiting for your master to return. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in. And then check this out. The servants who are ready and waiting... For his return will be rewarded. The more ready you are for God to bless you, the more real those blessings are going to be. The more blessable you become, the more of his blessings you're going to experience. And so this morning, I want us to look at four ways to get blessable. Four ways to get our hearts, our minds, and our lives ready for God's blessing. So if you're taking notes, number one, the first thing I got to do to get blessable is I have to have a pure heart. I have to have a pure heart because everything starts with my heart. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. The condition of our heart determines who we are becoming. And so the purer my heart is, the more blessable I am becoming. That's why Joshua, right before he led the people across the Jordan, Look at what he says, Joshua 3, 5. It says, then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves. 
For tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. Circle that phrase, great wonders. If you want God to do some great wonders in and through your life, then you've got to have a pure heart. So what does that mean? What does it mean to purify my heart? I'll tell you what it means. It means you got to take out the garbage daily. You got to get the emotional, the relational, the sin garbage. You got to get the garbage of the past, your failures, your flaws, all of those ones. You got to get that garbage out. You don't need a perfect heart. You just need a clean heart for God to bless you. I remember when our kids were little, we were going on this big family vacation and we were all getting ready for it. And especially that morning, you know how it is if you got kids, the morning that you get ready to leave, last minute stuff, you run around checking, locking the doors, getting up, make, making sure everybody's got their stuff and, and you're all ready to go. And we thought we had everything taken care of. We got in the van and off we went and we had remembered everything except one thing. We forgot to take out the garbage before we left. And you know, the reason we didn't remember to take it out is because it didn't stink. There was some food and junk in there, but it was from the night before. So we didn't smell it. We didn't notice it. But when we got back, the whole house was stinking. And that's the way it is in your heart. The biggest barrier to God's blessing in your life is not the stuff that gets into your heart. It's the stuff you allow to stay in your heart. You got to take out the garbage. You got to take out the garbage. How do you do that? The Bible says you take out the garbage in your heart with one word confess. Confession. The Bible says in 1 John, if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us, yes, but it also says then He will purify us from all unrighteousness. That's God's promise when we confess. Interestingly, you know what the word confess means? Confess simply means to agree with God. The Greek word is homologeos, which homo means same, logo means speak, or like a logo, and it's basically to speak the same about the stuff in your life that God speaks about it. Confession is just to say, you know what, that negative encounter I had with that coworker was not just because they were a jerk, but it was also because my heart is full of pride. Confession is to just admit that that thought you had about that guy or that girl was impure. Confession is to say, you know, that truth I stretched to make myself look better, the reality is it was a lie. I think it was St. Augustine who said that the confession of bad works is the beginning of good works. To have a pure heart, you don't need to be perfect. You just need to keep short accounts with God. Because God pours out his blessings in all kinds of vessels. Big vessels, small vessels, ornate vessels, plain vessels. God even pours out his blessings in broken vessels. But there's one vessel that God will not pour out his blessings in. And that is an unclean vessel. That's why Paul tells his young protege Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you 
for every good work. Circle that phrase, keep yourself pure. You notice that it's an ongoing thing. It's not a one and done. A pure heart is not, doesn't come from that day when you surrendered your life to Christ and got baptized. No, every day you're going to struggle with sin every day until you leave this earth. The question isn't what sins you struggle with. The question is how often do you clean out your heart? How often do you agree with God and just admit what's in your heart? That's why a daily time with God is so critical. It's not just reading the Bible to learn about God. And it's not just praying and telling God what we need. That time alone with God is an opportunity to take a personal inventory and to be rigorously honest with myself about the junk in my heart and just confess it. And that's why over these next two months, to help us all get in the habit of doing that, that's why we're having that daily reading time. It's not just to read verses about the Beatitudes. It's about getting before God, hearing his word, hearing him speak, offering your prayers. But it's also an opportunity to just purify your heart. Every day, take out the garbage. And as you do, you'll be amazed at what God's blessings get poured into your life. You want to get blessable? You got to have a pure heart. Number two, I got to simplify my schedule i got to simplify my schedule because it's not just the stuff in my heart that gets in the way. Many times it's all the stuff on my schedule. See, for some of us, the problem isn't that God doesn't want to bless us. The problem is we got no room to put it if he were to bless us. You know, we talked about this last week. You can't do everything. The good news is you don't have to. You were not created to do everything. And you have just enough time to do God's will. Just enough time to do God's will for your life. So if you have more on your to-do list than you have time to do it, guess what? You got stuff on your to-do list that isn't God's will for you. You're trying to do and be more than he created you. Psalm 90 verse 12, look at what it says. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What does it mean to number our days? It means to make the most of them, to recognize that there's only so many of them. There's only so many hours a day and only so many days we've been given on this earth. And once we recognize and number them, it means we're intentional about a plan for how we're going to use them. We should budget our calendar the same way we budget our money. We need to think about what we're going to do, what's important, what gets left in, and what gets left out. Because God has given you your days on this earth to fulfill his plan and his purpose because that's where the blessing is. You've heard me say this a million times. Whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, if you are a follower of Jesus, God has a plan for your life. Do you believe that? God has a plan for your life. But recognize this. Everybody else around you has got a plan for your life too. 
Everybody's got something, expectations, things they think you ought to be doing. And if you fill up your lives with what everybody else says is important or what the culture says is important, you're not going to have room for the things that God created you to do. You've got to plan. And not only do you need a plan, but you need to be ruthless with distractions. When it comes to simplifying your schedule, you've got to be ruthless with distractions. Because here's the thing. If Satan can't make you bad, he'll just make you busy. And the end result is the same. You're off task. You're off purpose. Listen, I'm convinced that most of us sitting in here today could stop half of the stuff we're doing right now and we'd be healthier physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And for that to happen, you got to have the guts to say no. The best time management tool you have are the two middle letters of the alphabet, N-O. No is the best thing you can do to simplify your schedule. Because look, you, you understand this. You can have so many irons in the fire that you'll put out the fire. And if you're burning the candle at both ends, you're not nearly as bright as you think you are. You've got to simplify your schedule. We live in the middle of peach country, right? We're surrounded by all these amazing peach orchards. And every spring, we love to drive through and see those millions of beautiful pink peach blossoms, right? And we think the more blossoms, the better, right? But the peach farmer thinks differently. The peach farmer knows that too many blossoms will lead to too many peaches, and too many peaches will lead to small, little, shriveled-up peaches. If you've got a 100 blossoms on a single branch, if all of those turn into fruit, you're going to end up with these shriveled-up little all-pit and no fruit. So the farmer goes through and he throws away the little peaches. He prunes, he makes room, and when he makes room, he ends up with big fruit. And the same thing is true in your life. If you want to see big fruit in your life, you got to make room for that to grow. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, See then that you walk not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. What does it mean to redeem the time? To redeem something means to take it back. To rescue it. To save it for a better purpose. And that's what we need to do with our schedule. If we want God to pour out his blessings in our lives. So let me just ask you. If God wanted to bless you right now. Would you have room for it? Would you have margin? Would you have the space? If, if God called you to do something amazing through you, to impact lives, to change your community, maybe even to change the world, would you have any space to do what God has called you to do? To get blessable, I've got to purify my heart. I've got to simplify my schedule. And then number three, I've got to fortify my faith. Fortify my faith. Because the stronger my faith becomes, the more of God's blessings I will receive. See that throughout Jesus' ministry on earth, that when Jesus physically healed people, almost every time he physically healed somebody, he said to them, it is because of your what that you have been healed. What did he say? Your faith. It is your faith. The stronger our faith is, the more God pours out his blessings. Matthew 9, 29. 
Jesus says, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And that's not just for physical healing. That's in every area of our life. God's blessings are based on our faith. Why? Because God's greatest desire is that we trust him. That we depend on him. So how do I fortify my faith? How do I get a stronger faith? Well, one of the things you got to do, we've already talked about, spending time every day with God, in his word, in prayer, in taking an inventory. That will grow your faith. Another thing that will grow your faith is remembering God's faithfulness in the past. To look back and see the times when God's come through, when he's been faithful, either in your life directly or in the lives of others, or the story that you see of God's faithfulness in Scripture. Remember his faithfulness in the past. It will give you faith for your present and your future. Those are good things to do to fortify your faith. But in my opinion, the greatest thing you can do to grow your faith is to connect an authentic community with other Christ followers, to connect and do life together with other believers because we are better together. And nowhere is that more true than in the area of our faith. We see this throughout Scripture, right? When the disciples, the 12 initial followers of Jesus, those guys experienced great growth in their faith. Why? Because they heard what Jesus taught? No. Jesus taught the same things to them that he taught to the multitudes. Why did they grow in their faith? Because they spent time connected to Jesus and to their brothers in Christ. They were in relationship, doing life together. I say this all the time, and sometimes people challenge me, but I believe it's the truth. There is no spiritual growth outside the context of relationships. You are not going to grow spiritually if you keep doing your life in isolation and hiding because our faith is a relational faith. We live out our faith in the way we relate to and treat others around us, but we also need each other to grow stronger in our faith. If you don't believe me, look at what the Apostle Paul says, Romans 1.12. He says, I mean that I want us to help each other with the faith we have. Your faith will help me, and my faith will help you. Why is that true? Why why do we have to connect with others to grow spiritually? Because connecting with others gives you three essential ingredients that are required for you to grow stronger in your faith. Encouragement, support, and accountability. You cannot grow spiritually without encouragement, support, and accountability. And you cannot get those three things without being in authentic relationships with others. See, that's why being a home group has always been the heart of who we encourage you as a church family to be. The reason we want you to be in community, in connection, in a home group is not because this was a cool idea we had 27 years ago. It's because it's the only way you'll grow in faith. That's always been our emphasis, our focus as a church. And let me just tell you, over the next eight weeks, this is especially true. If you don't connect in authentic community over the next eight weeks, you can come every Sunday and listen to my message, take notes. You can do every daily reading plan 
every day of the week, but you will not grow spiritually without connecting in a home group. So do this. Take out your phone right now. All of our campuses, get out your phone, and if you have the Cedar Creek Church app on that, you're going to have a notification that's on your phone or it's going to be on your phone any minute now. And if you're not in a home group, just touch that notification, follow the instructions on there. It's going to take you to a list of all the home groups on your campus. You scroll through there, you can see what night they meet, who the leaders are, what kind of group they are, all of that. And you can pick a group, just click on that, fill out the information, it'll get you connected to that group. If you look through there and you don't know what group to pick, scroll down to the bottom. There's a place where you can click, help me get connected. Click on that, follow through, fill it out. We are trying everything we can do to remove all the barriers that keep you from connecting because we know this is critical. It's critical to your spiritual growth. It's critical. If you raise your hand and said you want God to bless you, this is what you got to do. This is where it's found in fortifying my faith. We're also going to be hosting home groups beginning next week for the next two months on all of our campuses. If you're a little freaked out about showing up to somebody's house with a small group of other people, I get that. Just come to your campus. Find out your campus pastor will tell you when, what night. Do whatever you got to do to get connected or reconnected because that's where growth happens. And then finally, number four. The fourth thing I have to do to get blessable is I got to intensify my passion for God. Intensify my passion for God. You can't be a part-time Christian and expect God's full-time blessings. You can't keep being casual about the kingdom of God and expect the king of kings to pour out his blessing on your life. you got to get all in. you got to be sold out. You have to be desperate for and passionate about God to see him move in your life. You know why? Because God gives his best to those who want it the most. Let me say that again. God gives his best to those who want it the most. Great picture of this in the Old Testament. Guy by the name of Jacob, who'd spent his whole life as a swindler, a finagler, taking advantage, living for himself, just cheating, stealing, doing whatever he could. And eventually, just like in our world, that ends up empty. And he finally found himself the night before having to face the music for the way he'd lived his life. And he falls asleep in the desert because the next morning he's going to have to come face to face with his twin brother, the one whose blessing and birthright he stole. And now the chickens are coming home to roost. And so he has a fitful night sleeping in the desert. And in the night an angel of the Lord appears before him and Jacob and the angel start to wrestle with one another. And the Bible makes it clear that this is a metaphor of Jacob wrestling with God for control of his life. And they wrestle all night long. Morning is starting to break and the angel says, let me go because morning is coming. And you know what Jacob said? Jacob said, I ain't letting you go till you bless me. I ain't letting go till you bless me. And you know what God did? Blessed him. Why? Because he knew he was desperate for him. Have you ever done that? If you ever prayed and said, God, I'm not going to stop praying until you answer. God, I'm not going to stop serving in this area until I see your fruit. 
God, I'm not going to quit crying out to you until you answer and show your faithfulness. When you get in that posture, baby, let me tell you something. You get blessable. This past year, I have never been more desperate for God's blessings. And in that desperation, I have never experienced God's peace, God's power, or his purpose the way I have over this past year. And while I would never wish that kind of painful circumstance on any one of you, my hope, my prayer for all of us is that we would get just a little glimpse of how desperate we need God because it's in that desperation that God pours out his blessings. And as our passion for God increases, he not only pours out his blessings on us, but those blessings get poured out on the people around us. That's what Jesus meant in Matthew 5, 16, when he says, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The more intensely God's light shines in you, the more it brings light to those around you. And I thought about that, and I thought about that in the context of our nation. Because we need God to bless our nation, don't we? We desperately need God to bless our nation. But you know what I realize? The greatest barrier to God's blessings being poured out on America is not the immorality of those outside the church. It is the lukewarm attitude of those of us in the church. It's our half commitment, our little bit, if I can, if I have time, that lukewarm commitment Jesus does not like. Look at what he says, Revelations 3.16. He says, because you are lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, I am ready to spit you out of my mouth. Man, that's harsh truth, but it is truth. If you want God's blessing, you got to get off the bench and get in the game. If you want God's blessing, you need to restore a passion for him and his kingdom and the things that he says are important. That kind of passion is what leads to God's blessings. Good intentions are great, We all have good intentions. You would not be in church today if you didn't have good intentions. We leave here every week with a filled out outline and good intentions to change. The problem is God's blessings are not found in our intentions. They're found in an intense passion that moves me to action. And these next eight weeks, they're a great opportunity for you to experience the blessings that God has for you. You've got a great opportunity. The question is, what will you really do with this opportunity? Would you pray with me? Father, you are an amazing God who blesses us not because we deserve it or because we've earned it, but because it's who you are. Is an expression of your love and your desire to give us not a best life now, but a full and abundant blessed life every day through the ups and downs, the ins and outs of our life on this broken planet. 
And so, God, would you help us get more blessable? Would you help us recognize the step we need to take, the things we need to live out, the things we need to confess and get out of our heart, the things in our past we need to let go of, the things we're holding on so tightly to because we think we have to have it? Oh, would you give us the guts to let go of it and watch you meet us with every good and perfect gift? Oh, Father, that is our prayer this morning. That is our desire that these next two months would be not just an interesting study about the Beatitudes, but that it would be a life-transforming season for us individually, for us collectively as a church. God, we are not enough unless you move. We need you to move. We are desperate for you to move, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.